so we're continuing our study here in Titus, in Titus chapter 3. Our focus, I said, will be on verses 6 and 7. But I'd like to look briefly at the context so we remember where we're at. Remember, Paul is writing to Titus there in Crete. He's writing to the Cretans, and here in chapter 3, he's reminded them to be submissive to the ruling authorities. That they are to be gentle. They're not to malign anyone. They're to avoid quarreling. And he reminds them if they're having a hard time doing so, to remind them that they were once foolish themselves, that they were once disobedient themselves, that they were once the deceived, that were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending their lives in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. This is all, every single person except for Jesus Christ, the only perfect man, the God-man, Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is our condition apart from Christ. And so whenever we're tempted to speak evil of others, to be quick to quarrel, to be quick to anger, Paul is telling us in these verses that we are to remind ourselves of who we once were, that we were once foolish. And it is only by the amazing grace of God, His loving kindness towards us, that we are different, that we are no longer of the world. And that's what he goes on to tell us in verse 4 is that it's because of this kindness that has appeared from heaven in the person and work of Jesus Christ, showing his great love for us, that we are no longer like we once were. So Christ has died for the foolish, died for the sinful, died for us. In verse 5 he goes on to say he saved us and it's not on the basis of our works, it's not on the basis of anything that we've done, it's not on the basis of any of our deeds that we would do, it's only by the work of Jesus Christ. He says it's because of His mercy that we are saved. By the washing and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, nothing that we can do, it is by God the Holy Spirit, He has caused us to be born again. This is a work of God in our hearts. He has renewed renewed us, that He has cleansed us, set us apart as His people for Him, creating in us new life that only God Himself could do. He goes on to say in verse 6 that He has poured out on us richly the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ our Savior. So here Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on His people richly, much like on the day of Pentecost where God would promised that the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. And so we are that all flesh. We are the people of the nations. And the Holy Spirit is poured out richly on all people that come to the Lord in faith. John the Baptist said that Jesus would be the one who baptized with the Holy Spirit. Literally mean to immerse people with Him. And we are no different. The Holy Spirit has been poured out in these days to His people to equip us to give us the life that we the strength that we need to live the holy life that God has called us to to equip us to to grant us spiritual gifts to help us to carry one another's burdens to be the body of Christ we have been richly blessed with the holy spirit a key verse a key phrase in these verses as we look at them is there in verse 5 Paul says that he saved us And then he goes on to expound what that salvation looks like. That's what we are seeing, saying 
that it's not by our works. It's only by the loving kindness of God. It's by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. It's through the renewal that comes through the Holy Spirit. It's, it's through that indwelling of the Holy Spirit that all believers have, that pouring out of the Spirit richly on God's people. It's through the justifying work of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to focus on here this morning. And because of that, we are now heirs of eternal life. So this morning our focus, as I said, will be on that justification by grace. What does it mean in our inheritance that we've received because of that? So what does it mean to be justified by His grace? Well, first we've got to understand that word justified. Justified would be to be declared right in God's eyes. De- declared just in God's eyes. It would be a legal declaration of righteousness. Another term you might have heard of is justification. Theopedia.com gives a good definition for this. I'll read it now. It says, justification is the doctrine that God pardons, accepts, and declares a sinner to be just on the basis of Christ's righteousness. So, it's the doctrine that God pardons, accepts, and declares a sinner to be just on the basis of Christ's righteousness which results in peace with God, His Spirit, His salvation. Justification is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's apart from works, as we have just read right here in Titus chapter 3. It's apart from all merit of the sinner. So before we can understand justification, as I just read the definition, we need to understand who God is. Why is the doctrine of justification so important? It's because God is holy. This idea of God being holy has largely been lost in our modern day. Most teachers, seminaries, churches across this nation, this world, have minimized the holiness of God. Mainly all pastors want to talk about these days is the love of God and how loving He is. Now listen, His love is not to be minimized, and He is love, as the Bible says. God is love. But the Bible makes much of all of who God is, not just His love. And we we cannot change Him into our liking, and we must humble ourselves and submit to who He is and who He has revealed Himself to be. And if we want a God that is all love, that's not the God of the Bible. He's revealed Himself to be the holy God. And as R.C. Sproul has rightly said, the Bible never says that He is love, 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 or that He's wrath, 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 but that He's holy, holy, holy. It is what the Scriptures declare. Revelation 4.8 says that the angels around the throne say, day and night, they do not cease to say that He is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In Isaiah 6, it similarly says there that the seraphim, they cover their eyes and they declare that He is holy, holy, holy. Their eyes are covered because they dare not look on His glory. Moses said, he said to Moses, Moses could not see Him and live. The angels, if you think about it, when they appear to people, they carry that, that holiness of God and these are created beings. And what do they always have to say to the people that they appear to? Fear not. These angels were feared by men, and they're nothing to be compared to the holy God. 
His holiness means that he is unlike us. That he is separated from his fallen creation. He is a God with many attributes, and all of his attributes are who he is. And it's not just love. It's all of who he is makes up his holiness. His otherness. Another way to say holiness would be his otherness. His unlike us. When you look at this creation, you look at the sun, just think of the sun. We can't even stare at it without losing our sight. And this is just a creation of his. It is declaring to you every day, every single day that you get up, the sun is declaring to you that there is a God who is not like you. That he is mighty, he is powerful, he is a consuming fire, he dwells in unapproachable light, he is pure, perfect, he is pure. He is unchanging, he's incapable of sin. And not only is he perfectly loving, he is also perfectly just. We cannot minimize one attribute over the other. If God says he is something, plain and simple, he is that we will either worship Him for who He is, or we will try to redefine Him. We will either worship the Holy God, who is both loving and just, who is both merciful and full of wrath, who, is, who shows amazing grace, but also will not clear the guilty. We will either worship Him for who He is, or we will try to redefine Him. And when we do, we become idolaters. And so this Holy God who is our God, the only one true God, is a just God. So let's think about how a perfect, holy God who is just, how does he practice his justice? First, we must compare him to the judges in our land, the judges in our day, who are fallible and often err. Abby and I enjoy the uh, real-life crime shows like 48 Hours. Um, just interesting to watch, and often I say it's, it's human sin on display. I can't tell you how many times we've watched those shows. We've got to the end, and we've said, that sentence is unjust. Once again, we see a judge, a fallible judge, a judge that often errs, give a criminal a pass. Give him a penalty that is not that does not fit the crime. Biblical justice says that if you take a man's life, your life is owed. This is what God would say is justice, but how often do we see a guy can kill multiple people and not get the death penalty? So when we see it, we often say, well, that was either too hard or that penalty was too soft, whatever it may be. But what we see is that we have unjust judges in our land. But God is not like us. Remember, He is holy. He can't just sweep injustice under the rug as we often do. He cannot give a soft sentence. He cannot let people off the hook because He is just. Even if people regret their sin, He can't just say, it's okay because He is perfectly just. He has given a perfect law, and He's commanded all men, men everywhere to keep His law. And He has said the wages of breaking that law is death. 
that it's an offense to him, that it's a crime against him. And we are all guilty of breaking that law. Remember what Paul just said here in Titus that defines us all, that we were once foolish, we were once disobedient, we were once led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and in envy, hated by others and hating one another. If we were just to look at a few of the laws of God, think you shall not lie, you shall not covet, you shall not use His name in vain. Who among us is guiltless? Jesus said that the law says you shall not commit adultery. Jesus said if you look with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He said anger towards your brother, you're liable to the judgment. He says if you said you fool, you're liable to the hellfire. I don't know if you can even drive on 31 without saying you're, you fool. <laughs> Just reading this, I can think of countless ways that I've sinned. I can think of countless times in my life. I, can't, I could never count all the times that I've sinned against my God. Breaking His laws, breaking His commandments, criminal in His eyes apart from Christ. So God is so pure, He's so holy that even one sin, one single sin is enough to condemn us. And people might say, well, that's not fair. But that's our problem. We don't know the God that we sin against. How foolish it is that we have, that there's this holy and righteous God who is so high and lifted up, so unlike us. And we have the audacity and the pride to sin against Him, and we don't even know who He is. We think it's not a big deal. God will forgive me anyway. We think that, yeah, he'll understand. We say nobody's perfect after all. But he's so holy. He's so perfect. He's so pure that one offense against him creates for us an infinite debt that we cannot pay. And if God would choose to do so, he could end every single one of our lives instantly and he would be just to do so. No one could say anything against him. God, why did you end the lives of these creatures from the dust? They've broken my laws. I am just to do so. The fact that we still live, the fact that we still breathe, that we have air in our lungs and the ground under our feet is pure grace of God every single day of our lives. Remember, God said to Adam, if you eat, if you disobey my command, you will surely die. Romans 6.23 tells us all the same thing. That the wages of our sin is death. And God is not a man that He could lie. I promise you, if He has told you that this is the wage of our sins, it is the wage. We've all sinned. The second death is our price. Eternal death Eternal hell is our only possible destination in our sins. God is true, and He will do what He says. We cannot stand before the holy God. We cannot be right in His eyes, left in our sins. And even that one lie is enough. Revelation 21.8 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual and moral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion 
will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Each and every one of us, this is what we deserve. We are all guilty before God. The question we must ask, and it's been asked throughout all of history, is how does this holy, just God, how does He justify the ungodly? How does He say that the unjust are just? How could it be that He could count you and me guiltless? How can a holy God call an unrighteous people righteous? If He were to do so, Those who have an infinite debt to a perfectly holy God, a God that is declared in Nahum 1.3 that He will by no means clear the guilty, the wages of that sin being death, what hope do we have to be just in His eyes? Left to ourselves, what hope is there? Paul says in verse 5, it's not by what you can do. No work will be able to get you there. And as I said earlier, He will not sweep our sin under the rug. We will not be able to reason with Him on that last day. We will not be able to compare ourselves to other people. Well, God, they were much worse than me. Don't send me to hell because they were much worse people than me. And then, God, look at all the good that I've done. I used to be a sinner, but I started doing good at this day. So please, would you, would you, you know, not, not count all those crimes against me? But that's not how justice works. As I said, one offense is enough. God will not grade us on a curve. And we cannot start working for it. And in case we have forgot, we have sin nature. And all of our sins are tainted with sin. God accepts no righteous deed from a sinner. It's tainted. It's a filthy rag in His eyes. The debt that is owed is unpayable by mere man. And in hearing this, we all should feel the weight of our sin and say, how will I ever get to heaven? How will I ever be right in God's eyes? It's got to come from outside of me. It's nothing in me. Today, be broken before God and realize that you can do nothing to save yourself. And you need a righteousness that is not your own. The point of looking to the law is saying, I can't do it. I'm condemned under the law. I need someone else. I need a substitute. We must have a righteousness that is alien to us. It's not ours. We must have someone pay our price for us. Someone that is holy. Someone that is perfect. Someone that did all that God commanded. Someone that can pay an infinite debt that we cannot pay. That person is Jesus Christ. Titus 3.7 says that we're justified by His grace. Paul says similarly in Romans 3.24 that being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. Our only hope is to be justified by His grace. That's our only hope in life and death. To be made right with God through the, His redemption which is in Jesus Christ. Yes, this Jesus, the Lord of glory, God Himself, left the heavenlies. He took on humanity. He was born of a virgin. He did not inherit the sin nature that you and I all have. He was 
perfect. He's the perfect God-man. How holy is the perfect God-man? Perfectly holy. How righteous is the perfect God-man? Perfectly righteous. He truly was the spotless lamb. He never disobeyed. We disobey God daily. Christ never did. Not once. He went to his death, a sacrificial death. He was crushed on the cross. He faced the wrath of the Father. He paid our penalty there. He bore our sins. He was treated as an unbeliever. He suffered spiritually from the wrath of the Almighty. He was crushed for our iniquities, as Isaiah 53 says. And he is the propitiation of our sins. That is, that he is the wrath bearer. He's the one that satisfies the justice of God. God will be just. And so, in order for Him to make sinners like you and me just, He had to pour out that wrath somewhere. And He chose to do it on His perfect, one and only Son. Jesus cried out from the cross, It is finished. The Greek word there, tetelestai, means paid in full. Imagine getting a bill in the mail, you open it up, and it's got numbers on the bottom, and the zeros are just off the page. You're like, I owe, what? (laughs) I could never pay this. And then there's a stamp on it that says, paid in full. This is what Jesus is saying when he says on the cross, it is finished, that every debt, every sin of every believer is paid for in full. That his death is a sufficient death to drink the cup of the wrath that you and I all deserve. And because of His perfect work, God can be both just, that is, His name can be just, His justice is intact, and the justifier. He can take those who are unworthy and call them worthy based on the work of Christ. So how can, how can this God look at the rebel, the sinner, the one who is an offense to Him and declare Him just? It's based on the perfect work of Jesus Christ that perfect sin bearer, the one who paid it all, Jesus. There on the cross, the great exchange takes place. Our sin is placed onto him. He is the sin bearer. His righteousness is then placed on us. The theological term is called imputation or accounted. As I said, it's it's accounted to our account. His perfect, infinite righteousness is given to you and me, accounted to us. God can declare us just or righteous in His eyes because of what Christ has done. You've heard the term clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You're still a sinner. I'm still a sinner. But when God looks down on us, He sees the righteousness of Christ because we are clothed in His righteousness. And it's a legal declaration. If the sentence were in, we would be 100% guilty. The verdict's in, and you're guilty, I'm guilty. But because of Christ's work, because He takes our sin, and He accounts His righteousness to us, God can declare us right with Him. He can declare us just. We as sinners, we who have fallen short, we are forgiven in Christ. We have our sin cast as far as the east is from the west. There on the cross, remission of sin has taken place. And it's only the half of it. We also receive that perfect righteousness, His perfect life, His perfect obedience placed to our account. What once was absolutely hopeless, 
becomes a certain hope for salvation for those who are in Christ. R.C. Sproul says in his book, How Can I Be Right with God? The very second someone has true faith, God declares him justified and imputes to him all of the merit of Christ so that Christ is so that all that Christ is and all that he has accomplished becomes his. So how do we receive this gift, this grace that justifies us? Paul tells us in Romans 3:28 that we are justified by faith. And it's faith alone. Here in Titus we see that it, it says that it's by grace. So which one is it? Grace or faith? Well, it's grace through faith. Let me explain. It's grace because God did it. He did it all. He paid the price for us. God the Son paid the debt. God has been merciful. It was nothing that we could do. It has been accomplished 100% by the grace of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. When we say we're saved by grace, we're saying that it is all of God. That it's only because of His work. It's nothing that I have done. That without God, I would never be saved. It was accomplished 100% by Him. We say, we can't say of ourselves, it's only God. We receive this gift of grace, this gift of justification through our faith in it. So faith is the conduit to which we receive it. Faith It's really made up of three parts. One is knowing the message. You have to know that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that He lived the perfect life, that He died a sacrificial death, and He rose again on the third day. And it's not just knowing it, it's also believing in it. Well, I believe that, but it's more than just believing because even the demons believe. It's also a trust in it. It's a clinging to it. It's a knowing your deep need for this. I trust that work to save me because I know I can't save myself. It's realizing your desperate need for Him, your dependence on Him, your inability to save yourself, your inability to be right with God left to yourself. I know I can't be right with God left to myself. I know I'm hopeless to stand in His presence, but I know if I'm closed in the righteousness of Christ that I can stand. And so I'll trust in Christ, not myself. Faith is receiving it with humility, with dependence, with a deep acknowledgement of the perfection of Christ and your need for Him. With repentance, realizing that it's you who have sinned against this God. That it's your debt. The proud man says that I don't need this sacrifice. The proud man says I don't need Christ. I don't need anything from anybody. My sin's not that bad. God will forgive me anyway. This is not seeing our deep need for Jesus Christ. Jesus actually gives us a parable to to see exactly what justification by faith looks like. That parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. If you remember, the Pharisee was proud. He was boastful. He was looking around at other people saying, thank God I'm not like these other people. He was trusting in himself and his own righteousness. He had no need for a Savior. He had no need for God to be merciful to him because he believed that he was good in God's eyes. He was self-righteous. He looked down on others. But the tax collector, he couldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. 
He couldn't even lift his eyes up. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he had no hope apart from the mercy of God. And so he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The word there actually could mean, God, please take your wrath away. Take the wrath that I deserve off my shoulders. Please, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What's Jesus say? That man went down to his house justified. He trusted in God to save him, not himself. This is what saving faith is. It's trusting in God, not yourself, to save you. That's what, how justification comes. As I said earlier, faith is the conduit to which we receive this gift of grace, this gift of just justification. From a recent book I read, I have this quote. It says, the apostles and the reformers were saying that it is the only thing for me to do to receive the benefit of that righteousness to receive the benefits of Christ, is to put my trust in it, to rely upon it, to grasp it in faith, to receive it, to embrace it humbly. Receiving this gift of justification by relying on Jesus and Him alone. That is what is meant by justification, by faith alone. This work of Christ, His saving work, His justifying work, is our only hope. Who else are you going to hope in? Who else are you going to trust in? Yourself? It's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to stand before the Holy God. It's not possible. God has made provision for us to be declared righteous, and it only comes through the one true way, Jesus Christ, His Son. And really, there will be two types of people. And you can make this decision for yourself today. You're going to be one of two types of people. You're going to be a people that say, I don't need Christ. I'll pay my own debt, and you'll spend an eternity in hell. Or you'll be a people that says, I need Christ. I need Him to pay my debt, and you'll be eternally with Him. Two types of people. Paul goes on to say, in verse 7, that they were justified by His grace, that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Because we've been justified by His grace, we are also heirs to the hope of eternal life. We who were once enemies of God have now be counted heirs. Heirs that have an inheritance. Eternal life. Through faith in Jesus Christ and what He has accomplished for us. Through that faith, we've been adopted into the kingdom of God. We've been adopted as children's First, or John 1.12 says, But all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children as in heirs. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, and you will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. How good is our God? This perfectly holy, just God who is rich in mercy, He is rich in love, He is a saving God. And not only has He justified us by the work of His Son, not only was He willing to punish His Son in our stead, He now has adopted us as heirs 
to receive an inheritance that's far more than what we can even imagine. We must cling to the cross. He will clear us of our sins, all of our guilt washed away. He will count to us a righteousness that we did not earn, and He will declare us just in His eyes. You know, I just heard this the, just uh, yesterday, that not only is God's holiness, not only is His justified minimized, but also His love is minimized. Let me explain that. Too often Christians walk around acting as if they're condemned, as, a, a, acting as if they have no joy in their life, worried constantly whether or not God is happy with them or pleased with them. They minimize the love of God. God is perfectly pleased with us because we are in His Son. It's not by our work that He's pleased with us. It's because of His perfect righteousness that He's accounted to us in His Son. We minimize His love saying, it's not possible for God to love me. But he says in Romans 8.1 that if we're in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So every moment that we're condemned, every moment that we lack joy in Christ, we're saying, God, your love's not enough. But his love is perfect. It's unending. It's unconditional for those who are in Christ. And every moment we're in Christ, he is pleased with us because we are in his son. And he will be forever loving towards us because we are in Christ. So don't minimize his great love he has for you today. Don't for a moment think that you're condemned. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation, plain and simple. The payment has been made. Redemption has been accomplished. The bill says paid in full. He has given us the right to become children of God. I'm I'm so grateful that we have a future hope. We have a blessed hope, especially what's gone on with Joe and Nancy. Losing Nancy. I mean, what hope we have as Christians. There are loved ones that go before us that are in Christ. We have such great hope that they are experiencing a life far greater than what we could ever experience here on this earth. We are not those without hope. We have so much hope in Christ. We are heirs to an inheritance that will be far greater than we can even know now. With that, 